0: All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the ears? What the fucksters? What's happening? It's Mark Maron. This is my podcast. This is my voice coming to you from the new garage. It's an empty garage. It might have a, a slight effect on... The sound, but we're going to chip away. I got to get the books on the shelves. I got to get the foam up. I got to get some life into this place. But I'm here. I'm here. I'm tucked away in a corner of my new space, and it's spectacular. It looks spectacular. It feels good. It's a little weird, though, folks. It's a little weird. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been going through somewhat of a crisis. I mean, after I got all that stuff out of the old garage, I mean, I was in there. And I know this has been going on for a while, but I was in that garage for a long time. I was in there for years. It was like, it was a part of my body. It was, we had a symbiotic relationship. We were one. Me and that old garage were one. And I got to tell you, when I emptied it out entirely and it was just hollow and it was just that linoleum floor that I had put in there with some you know big idea after I pulled the rug up, it was just those tiles there and nothing else in it. It was kind of, it was rough, and then I left, and I and I laid in bed, and I was like, "Oh man," I felt like I had lost my Siamese twin. I felt like it was removed, but that's not even a good analogy. I just felt like I was kind of a, a part of me was broken away, and to detach from it was crazy. But here I am. I'm in the new space, and it's it's roomy, it's beautiful. There's a bathroom right over there. There's some windows. And I just gotta get the foam up. I gotta get the books out. I gotta get stuff going. But it's it's probably ongoing. I'm probably gonna experience some uh some grief. And uh I, I don't know how it's going to manifest itself, but uh I woke up in somewhat of a panic. Before I get too far into this, I wanted to uh to give a shout out to my buddy, Joe Matterese. He was on this show about a year ago and now he's got his own podcast. It's called Stand Up, Lie Down and he hosts it with his friend, Dr. Keith. They're basically taking the whole stand up as therapy thing to its logical conclusion. On each episode, they talk to a different comic and use their stand up act to get to the bottom of their issues. You can get it on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's weird to start here at ground, at the ground level again, to be sitting in a room with boxes all over the floor and just stuff around that needs to be sorted out and put in its proper place. It it feels like the beginning of the podcast when I was just sitting in the middle of that old garage and it was just basically a place to put shit, but I'm back. Now I'm back in that, but obviously it's a little different. I've made a choice. I've moved to a, a place that's more comfortable and interesting to me. And, uh, and, I've, and I've got a new garage, and this is where we're at. Did I mention today is Neil Patrick Harris Day on the show? Uh, they, these are a series of interviews still that were recorded in the old space. Oh, man, don't freak out, I said to myself. Don't freak out, I said to me. It's going to be okay, folks. It's going to be exciting. Uh, right now, uh, this was exciting, actually. Michael Imperioli... Uh, you know reached out to me he wrote a novel and I I don't always you know read everything that I'm supposed to read to do these interviews because I don't think it's relevant but uh, Imperioli and I had a beautiful chat uh, years ago and he wrote this novel and he wanted to talk about it so I thought I owed it to him and and it's the right thing to do and out of respect for the work he did I read the novel it's called The Perfume Burned His Eyes it's out now Uh, you can get it wherever you get books and it's a it's a beautiful little coming of age story. It's sort of a slightly dark coming of age story that he you know he really put his heart into. And it's uh it was a it was a great read. I enjoyed it. I really did. And it was great for Michael to uh to come by and uh and talk about it. I guess he's also got a new ABC show, Alex Inc. But uh, Imperiali's a solid cat. And, and and this was really and I'm being honest here. Well, hear me. Hear me, because I'm ta- I'm I'm being honest. This was a good read, and it was a heartfelt book, and it's a sweet book, and it takes place at a time in New York uh, that I kind of remember. But it's a, it's a little gritty, but it's still a you know it's still a, a coming of age story about a seventeen year old uh, you know kid, and Lou Reed is in it. Lou Reed is a character in this coming of age story, which is. Spectacular. So, this is me and Michael Imperioli talking about his new book, The Perfume Burned His Eyes. So, this morning I finished your book and it's, I loved it. And I, I ended up this morning, it, it was not uh, anticipated, but I ended up listening to Blue Mask and Street Hassle. Nice. <laughs> nice is it a great way to start the day I don't know but there's Uh, great records and great records and uh, and, so this book um, I love that it it was uh, that you wrote it from the point of view of a high school kid you know I think that the tone of it was great and it was very engaged I found it very uh, moving and exciting and it brought me back to uh I didn't grow up in in the city, but I used to go to New York uh, because I have family in Jersey and stuff in the 70s, and it really made me feel what it was like then again.
1: Right. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very, it had its very specific flavor and character. It
0: did, didn't it? And I think you really got that pretty good. Yeah. Were
1: you you going into the city then? I I I was, you know, I was in 76, I was 10. So we'd go to the city for like, to see the, you know, Statue of Liberty. From where? Where
0: were you? I grew up- like Wait, Mount Vernon, yeah, yeah right yeah. on
1: the city border of the Bronx. Yeah, so it's very close to the city, but yet you know, we'd go to the baseball game, right. the circus,
0: yeah, the Sir Rink Barnum and Bailey at Madison Square Garden, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: once in a while, a play, right? You know, my parents, we, we went to see a couple of plays, yeah, but, but uh, we I didn't know the city at all, you nah. know. No, it was very abstract. I was a you know,
0: little kid. It's kind of weird to me, though. But, uh, well, I mean, a little kid and what? So th- this kid, this takes most of the narrative of the book. It's you writing. Not, see, this is the thing. I, I had to picture you the whole way through. I it's just, not I, me, though. I know that. Definitely not. Okay. <laughs> okay. But but, but I, that's just what I do with people write books. I understand that, of course. <laughs> you're playing the kid. I'm
1: playing the kid in the movie. <laughs> exactly. no, you're playing the kid in the book. In the book, which yeah. is a movie in your head when you're right, reading, kind of. Right.
0: But uh, but so that most of the action or most of the narrative takes place is a recollection in 1977. Because right. So he's looking
1: back at what year? Well, most of the book is written from the point of view of a boy at or eighteen, about to be eighteen, yeah. in a mental hospital. Yeah. Looking at what happened the last two years. It's oh, like two a years. journal. Right and then the epilogue takes place years
0: later, 2013 uh, uh, in
1: 2013 which is 35 years later i guess well the thing Three is 3 days after Lou Reed's death
0: yeah. right right and and that, that is sort of a uh, uh, in memoriam right to, to Lou Reed right so but you didn't uh, when you were writing this i don't know when you wrote it did you anticipate that happening did you write this after he died
1: well when i started the book i started i wanted to write a coming of age story yeah. kind of the, it's something that's always been uh, very close to my heart. Yeah. From when I was a kid. Like, which ones do
0: you like? Catcher well, in the
1: Rye? Of course. Right. I mean, that's how could you not like that? That's such a seminal yeah. piece of work. Yeah. But also Candide, which yeah. I read, which is not necessarily coming age, but in some ways it is. But I read that as a teenager. It made a huge impression on me. Yeah. And I hadn't looked at Candide again, maybe since I was a teenager. Yeah. And I just picked it up a couple of months ago and I realized how much. That book, it may influence the writing of this, but just influenced me, I think, in general as an artist. Um, As a way to relate to the 16-year-old mind, because my son was turning 16, and he was going through what kids go through at that age, and I just wanted to relate to that state of mind. So I started writing... Before Lou died or after? Before Lou died. Oh, okay. Started writing the character, and... uh, There was an early version of this character in a script that I wrote that that of a pilot that I sold to HBO that didn't get made. Oh, okay. Very different, but the character was the core. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then, what was it about this character? If this guy's not you, because to me, all the buttons were pushed for me reading the book because you know I I don't know. We, how old are you?
1: Fifty-two. I'm
0: fifty-four. Right, so just a couple years older than you, but but it was all very familiar to me. You know, like right. I, I, but it, I was a little older when I was down in Alphabet City. You know,
1: so was I. I didn't get to the city till 1983 when I was 17.
0: Oh, okay. So, it's so not the, that far away. No, but 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 also, so you were at the age of this kid, really?
1: I was a little older. None of the events that happened to this kid ever happened to me. I mean, <laughs> except from being, a, you know, a teenager in this big city. Yeah, you know, and, right. And uh, you moved
0: there when you were 17.
1: I started going to acting school. I was kind of in and out. I'd go back home, I'd stay there. And then I finally moved permanently, I guess, like 85.
0: So this kid, he, uh, you know, he, he stifles himself a lot because he's overwhelmed all the time, you know, and he's, he's about to get sick half the time when he yeah. has feelings. And right?
1: he's, 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 you know, he's afraid of, yeah. the, of the, the world's a big place to him. And yeah, I and think w-
0: going from Queens to New York City, that, that you really sort of like, you brought that, like, because I don't think people realize that, like even in Westchester, you right. know, you, the city's there. Right. But it's just big menacing place. No one, you know.
1: Especially then. Yeah. It was a little more of a, you know, t- today's world is a lot smaller in general because everybody's a lot more aware of what's going on all the time because of, you know, mm-hmm. the, the way we communicate and stuff. But uh, especially then. yeah, You know, it, his journey from Jackson Heights to Manhattan was only a couple, maybe two miles or three miles, but it's. Yeah, light years apart in it's, terms
0: of... Yeah, it's like people on the island who never go to the city. They never right. go, maybe for a concert, but barely that, hardly right. that.
1: Or when relatives come to town right. and you take them to the by yeah. State Yeah, building. because you live in New York. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> yeah. I underlined one one sentence in the book uh, for some reason because I liked it. Uh, oh, when you were in the um, the magic store. Ah, uh, the occult. The uh, occult store was that. It's store. a real store, right? There was a real store down there. I was trying to remember. There was it. a
1: couple. Yeah, yeah. There was there was there was one in like the Flatiron District. That was the, I think lasted longer. But the one there, there was one in the East Village. Right. I yeah. Can't yeah. even remember the name. Which were always very. If you had ever gone to those places, they were very strange. Sure, sure.
0: You know, you Great got all places. the amulets. Well you, you, you describe it very well. But the the sentence I underlined was air that had grown thick from years of desperate aspirations. Some fulfilled, some fruitless, most of them malicious. Right.
1: <laughs> That's, and you, you could feel that in those places. Huh?
0: Yeah. Well, I think the real hook of this book, you know, for me and I think, uh, you know, for you too, because we had talked about, uh, uh, the last time you were here, we talked about our, our love of Lou Reed, is that, you know, the device in this book that is really sort of uh, amazing is that this kid coincidentally moves into the building, that Lou Reed lives in that right. that you, you your character Matthew moves in with his mother who leaves a life uh, in Jackson Heights because right. of an inheritance and you know things had not gone right. Your father's dead, your grandfather's dead, and but she takes up this place in the city in Midtown and and Lou Reed lives in your building, right? Uh, not yours, the character. Sorry, I always, right. do, that. I always do that with writers.
1: <laughs> he lives, yeah. Well, in the '76, he did live in in the east side of Manhattan in kind of a very. A neighborhood you wouldn't really think of him living in, because he was always yeah. a downtown guy for most of. In
0: seventy six, so that was because, like, I was trying because this is like really Lou, like hitting bottom.
1: I, I think I, I don't. He might have had a couple of bottoms, but right. he was. He went. You know, the album "Street Hassle." Yeah. I think came from a very painful place. There was a breakup, and and I mean "Street Hassle," which I think is the song, especially "Street yeah. Hassle," is just such yeah. a, a brilliant piece of work, but. um Lou is there to serve as a certain because this kid loses the two major male role models yeah. in his life at yeah. this very critical point in his adolescence and and when he's what, 17 16 and yeah. Lou emerges as this kind of quasi father figure um despite his own madness and not intentionally becoming a father figure. And not,
0: not really showing up as a father figure at all. No. Other than but, you know, remembering and, your name finally. Right.
1: And that, I mean, that's on the <laughs> kind of literal level. But yeah, on another level, he, to me, he's a, to me, the book is about the, the formation of an artist.
0: Well, the, I thought the interesting thing was, knowing what you know about Lou, and I, and I figured you did some research on it, and, you know, uh, is that, you know, the kid didn't know who he was. He didn't know who he was. and so. and And that, you know, even all the way through the relationship, you know, he knew he he had a thing, he had a hit, or he had a song he recognized. Right. But but that the the attraction and the desire to be close to Lou was more based on just the uniqueness of his life and and the intensity of his personality. Exactly, exactly. And and I and I thought that was an interesting choice. So you you don't have any celebrity element in there. You know, it was just right. this weird dude with the weird haircut right. who didn't look <laughs> like anybody else
1: and didn't look like he didn't belong in that neighborhood in that area. But there was something that you know this kid something in his aura and his energy struck a struck a nerve with this kid yeah he, he uh, and what what I in my mind was saying that it's about a certain artistic vision and a certain uh, artistic consciousness that this kid is drawn to and later in the book in one of lose desperate moments he takes this kid down to the village to yeah. this theater right. to see this play right and Later on we see that this kid is when he's in the the hospital he writes a play. Yeah, the little he play. He starts yeah. to write a play. Yeah, so yeah. it's a comedic the seeds play. of say, saying well this is how the losing oh, right. and sure. influencing the, the, the you know the artistic circle of life. Well, I
0: think that also what was exciting for me is that like and I and I, and I struggle with this all the time it takes it you know That Lou Reed as a uh, presence and a phenomenon, you know, everybody knows. But to really love Lou Reed all the way through everything he did is a rare person. (laughs) You know what I mean? That like that, that whatever your sensitivity is, I have it as well. And he's he's as troubling as he is compelling to me.
1: It's even during the course of his career, and sure, and you different. know, just
0: even the music. Some of it's a little too vulnerable for me, and some of it's a little too stupid for me, and some of it's, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, some of it's affected. But like, you know, it, it, there's always one or two that keeps pushing me through.
1: But I mean, you really have to take Lou's work from the whole scope. I think, yeah, of what he, you know, and and he was always challenging himself as an artist from beginning to end. Right. I mean. So Lu, uh, Lulu, what he did with Metallica. Yeah, I got to give right. that
0: another listen. I didn't see, I didn't, I
1: didn't. And Ecstasy, which was an album came out around 2000 or 1999, 2000, is a very underrated, excellent album. The song Rock Minuets on that record, but I mean, he's making this in his now early 60s. Yeah. So it's not a lot of artists that can maintain that. You know, Neil Young is one who just sort of sure. did, maintains that level of still trying to discover, still trying to push themselves. And, you know, there's, There's successes and failures along the way, and there's better and worse along the way. Sure. But uh, there was always that underlying... Well, I like
0: the thing he did with John Cale. What was that in the 80s or 90s? Songs for Drella. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, and Magic and
1: Loss you brought up in the book. It's amazing. New York is tremendous. New York's great. Tremendous, yeah. That's where the title comes from, from the song Romeo Had Juliet. Oh. He says, The perfume burned his eyes, holding tightly to her thighs. Something flickered for a minute, then it vanished and was gone. Yeah. It's always stuck in my head forever, and I always want to figure out a way to use that somehow yeah and the, this originally was called anywhere you like yeah which, which was which is a line when he gets the job. he go, first goes in the diner and the waiter the waiter looks like he's going to be mean and then he says anywhere you like and to him, the kid it, that phrase was like he just got to the city and it's like okay people seem like they are kind of gruff and right, mean yeah, yeah, but yeah. yet uh, yeah, actually okay. it's just because that's the way people are in the city but then as i kept writing I, it didn't really encompass what i wanted for the you know one cuz you don't know where the story's going to go when you're writing it you know i didn't know no no, I didn't really have a. It, I had kind of a little germ or seed. I didn't know what the story was going to be. Did my, you know he was going to meet Lou Reed? Not at the very beginning. No, that happened. Then what happened was this is going back to where we started. Started this coming of age story, and while I was into that, Lou Lou died. Yeah, and. Uh, it hit me very surprisingly hard in a couple of different ways, yeah. you know, and both because I knew him and I really liked him a lot. And he was
0: you developed really a calm. relationship with him later in his life? Yeah, yeah. it's
1: around night 2000, yeah. and he's just he was just a very generous to me and really kind and warm. Did you spend and, time with him? Yeah, we did. I met him at a show, Yeah, at one of his shows backstage, and... He came when I screened a movie that I directed. He came. I invited yeah. him, and he came. We we ho- hosted a couple of benefits together for Jazz Foundation and for the uh, Tibet Fund. Uh-huh. I, I visited him in the rehearsal studio when he was revisiting Metal Machine in <laughs> around twenty ten. <2010. And, laughs> revisiting uh, it, he did. He went on tour and yeah. was playing like kind of like. Reworked versions of Metal Machine Music live. In, uh-huh. This is in 2010 or 11. That that is, see this is another thing you got to remember about that. a couple of years before he died. Yeah,
0: he's doing that album, which is like just he, an he, obliteration he was, of music.
1: Yeah, but he was kind of reworking it to make to make it. I think I, I you know I didn't see that show live, yeah. but uh, yeah, he was revisiting Metal Machine. Music.
0: And did you spend time with the both of them with Lori?
1: I've met Lori a few times. We've been in touch, and yeah, uh, yeah. Did she read it? She did read it, and. Yeah. She liked it a lot I think. Yeah. She didn't know Lou in 76 Sure. and that's a whole side of Lou that you know I didn't know him either and she that she didn't know but I think she she en- was able to enjoy it as a story The speculation
0: at- she enjoyed your fictional speculation
1: of what that must have been like. I think so, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. And what did, did you read stuff about Lou at that time?
1: Did, what- oh yeah, I have for years, but uh, there was a, there's a lot of sp- there's a lot of specific references that you know you that you draw through, like for instance, yeah. you have him quoting. He quotes a, cu- a, a like a, a little line from Paul Simon's song.
0: Yeah, yeah, from a, "You Can Call Me
1: Out? Fifty ways. Oh, 50
0: ways. That's right. right. Yeah.
1: But so why did I choose that? Well, Lou was in the movie One Trick Pony, yeah, which was Paul Simon's. Loop I remember play. that. Lou, yeah, right. So trying to, you know, if you use a reference, or you so could, he, he
0: knew. You know, he knew. You know, he knew that record.
1: He knew Paul Simon. He sure. knew the record, and yeah. I was like, "Okay, so or the New York that. Boys, right?" Yeah. So trying to trying to take little details and and and, and, and I, weave yeah. them into the narrative.
0: Well, the thing that always was amazing about Lou to me is from when when I read "Please Kill Me," you know, you know, and they start with they have you know bits and pieces of Lou. Uh, in that book, The Oral History of Punk. Well, they
1: put him on the cover of the first punk magazine, The Legs legs. and... I just
0: uh, saw them the other night. Yeah. They were in town. They're doing another book, uh, Legs and Jillian. But, uh... But there was something about, like, his, you know, whatever they were doing at the factory, you know, Lou saw, you know, no difference. But in some respects, in his mind, there was no, he he didn't see any difference in terms of skill set or anything else from what he was doing to what Jimi Hendrix was doing. Like, or anybody else. Like, you know, he thought he was just as good a guitar player as anybody else. Right. Right.
1: Very underrated guitar player, I think. I literally. think he's an
0: underrated guitar player, but I also the the it, it struck me that like in terms of rock and roll, it's not about how well you do anything; it's about how you get your art, your ideas across.
1: Is it a good? Can you write a good song? Yeah. Does it sound good? I mean, virtu You know, virtuosity has its place, of course, uh, especially in. Yeah. You know other forms of music but it has its place in rock but is it a good song can you yeah. write a good song
0: well there's also that great moment in the book where you you talk about you weren't even tripping you weren't even on drugs but that that day where you with her with veronica and you do you, <laughs> you mean of a sudden, the
1: character in the book
0: yeah yeah the character in the book <laughs> matt where uh, <laughs> i do that all the time where uh, where that character starts to realize how his brain works Right, like he's all wide open, and he's taking in the day, and like, like you can feel him forming his brain.
1: It's yeah. I mean, it's it's endorphins coming from her being in love. Yeah, you know, right, and, and that all encompassing feeling of when you fall for someone, and it's you know, and I think it does alter your brain chemistry. I mean, there's things, there's hormones that start sure. to really go into your buck yeah. into your bloodstream, and it allows for a different. I mean, that happened when I met my wife. It it was like three days where I was, it was like I was on a drug. Oh, yeah? I mean, literally, my brain was going in ways I'd never, never experienced ever. And it was going on and on and on and on. Oh, yeah?
0: (laughs) Yeah? And did that, the, the three days that lasted?
1: Well, I mean that's that's the. Uh, I don't think you can stay like that. You think you'll die because you. I didn't sleep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You know, I was right. awake. Sure. Sure. You know? I mean, yeah. that's a sign that there's something special happening here.
0: Yeah. And I like how you brought in in the end in the institution that you know Ginsburg was supposedly there, like you know, like the right. the sort of the the legacy of uh, institutionalized geniuses, right? You and know, they're Lenny allowed Bruce. to
1: they're allowed to reveal the I, that the fact that they were if they had died, yeah, then they could say yes yeah, they were, yeah, they but were but here. But if they're alive, it's they kind of
0: private. Who were the, the other two? Lenny the, Bruce and uh, Judy Garland. And Judy Garland. Well, 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 look, man, you know it's good to see you, and and the book is great, and you know, and and also. Like, I want to make sure people know that, like, this isn't a book about Lou Reed. Lou Reed is, you know, fairly, he's a, an important character in it. But, you know, when you look at the the breadth of the book, it's not like you're doing a book about Lou Reed. No, you know?
1: no, it's a coming of age story. Oh, it's no, absolutely.
0: He's Without just a guy it, in the, you know, in the building. Right. But, you know, more importantly, you know, even the the, the relationship with Veronica, you know, and then right. the relationship with the kid in his own mind, you know.
2: Right. it's
1: but, but, uh, probably the most important uh, relationship as yeah. him to his own mind and trying to figure out what it means to be uh, a, yeah. a, a human being and and be you know an adult. And I thought it ended well. It's hard to end a book. It's hard to end a book. You're right. <laughs> I and mean, it, it has to it has to be organic and it has to kind of make sense.
0: But you did a great job. It's your first novel, right? First novel. Good yeah. man. I think <laughs> it's a great uh, great coming of age story. And I think it's a great uh, homage to Lou as well.
1: That's what I tried to do. Both of those things. Good. Well, thanks for coming by, man. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. I love that guy.
0: And I love the book. I honestly do. It's called The Perfume Burned His Eyes. It's out now. Get it wherever you get books. And that was nice to talk to Michael. Oh, my God. It's so bizarre being here. It will get less bizarre. I promise. It will get less bizarre. So neil patrick harris wanted to do the show he's a fan of the show and uh, we tried to get him a while back and we couldn't and it was a lovely chat he's on the new show genius junior sunday nights on nbc he's also on the netflix show a series of unfortunate events all episodes of season two are now available and this is me uh talking to uh neil patrick harris
3: Look at you know what you're doing. Look at that. I pointed the microphone at my mouth. You
0: did. I can't tell you how few people understand that mic when I tell when I tell them you can just move it in. They're just like baffled that the mic is on this thing for a reason. That you can you know you have freedom. I find that strange with actor people in general. But, but yeah, especially if they do voiceovers, they should know. Right. But I guess when you go into those booths... VR, so, they don't do looping? I know, but you know what? It's already set up for you and there's three guys in there, right? So the mics like stationary and they tell you where yeah. to stand, you know. This is a radio thing. I wonder that with the with the award shows. What about it? With the actors, they come in to then
3: they, their job <laughs> is to walk up to the, the thing and read the giant <laughs> teleprompter. Yeah. And,
0: and and they still look so Baffled? Baffled by that you know process. What the process. It's a it's a unique skill. Not everybody can do teleprompter. They, it's just, I don't know why. Why? I mean, I don't know why. You've gotten familiar with the text, assuming. That maybe you, not, maybe not. Yeah, maybe you're just. Uh, maybe you're like, well, I'm sure you read it, yeah. But I don't know. Some people just, they they look like they're reading. Other people look like they're just talking. I think that they're just, I, I think that they're freaked
3: out by the big room with all the people staring at them. I don't know how you I guys do it. I feel like that it. act, I feel like actors. Are are much more comfortable in, in closed film off film actors, yep, yeah, and TV in, actors, yeah, more film actors, I guess, right? Yeah,
0: well, yeah, they don't do the closed big rooms, sets. yeah, yeah, and they, <laughs> you know, they're protected, they're insulated, they can just be in their own little world and then surrounded by just a small group of people and fail, but no one knows. cameras, yeah, no
3: one knows. That's true. With the award show, you get one shot at it, and if you failed, and everyone sees that. Well, is that why
0: you're out here? Because you thought you were hosting? Am I not hosting this <laughs> show? <laughs> Oh, in, I'm sorry. The Oscars. You didn't, I thought that's why I was in the orange chair. <laughs> no, not this show. The Oscars. No, show.
3: I, I wasn't. I was in. I was in town. We watched the Oscars in New York.
0: Oh, really? What a beast that show is. It's a beast. I. I but you somehow have. And you know, it's it's one of those things where you, you know you're. Uh, uh, well, maybe we should start earlier. Uh, you're one of the great song and dance men out of. Uh, <laughs> out of out of New Mexico. Out of New Mexico, yes. <laughs> and I've never taken a dance cl- uh, lesson
3: ever. <laughs> I've never studied dance, but apparently I'm a song and dance man. Don't you think you are somewhat? No, it's I, <laughs> I'm very insecure when it comes to dancing, and I have to it's, do a, a fair amount of it live. Right. And big one-offs. Yeah. Which is probably the worst way to do it, because you don't have a, the opportunity to do it again, to screw up the thing, and you're surrounded by professional dancers oh, that's, who oh, that's are good, fantastic. Though. Not no, that's really, good. because you're the one in the front. Right, so, but you're
0: the one that just knows a few moves and they're like spinning around. Well, that's what happens. Yeah, of course. So <laughs> they then, learn my skill set. Yeah, and they make you look good. I just sway yeah. <laughs> left and right with my hands out. Like, Classic song and dance moves. That's the move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, New Mexico, like I don't meet many people that grew up there but I, and I wasn't even born there and you were born there. Yeah. In Albuquerque. What do you know of New Mexico? What do you mean? I was there from third grade till I graduated high school. My dad's still there. Seriously? Yeah. I didn't know there was a New Mexico connection. Oh, hell yeah, man. I, I grew up. I went to Highland High. No way. Graduated from Highland High. Nice. <laughs> my
3: father graduated from Highland High, I think. Is that true? I think so. I you, think it's a great place to uh, have been raised. I yeah. was born in Albuquerque. Yeah. Um, my mother was from Portales, New Mexico. My really? dad was from Albuquerque. They from met, Portales? Yep. Yeah, and they met in college. At U. Quintessential U&M College Sweethearts. uh-huh fraternity sorority the whole nine. Oh yeah g- he gave her his ring oh uh, really well they pledged used to do, yeah something like that oh. yeah that was old-timey <laughs> it was very old-timey and they're still together to this day <laughs> really still in love still happily adorably old and, and you
0: grew up in in are they in new mexico
3: in new mexico still they're in albuquerque we moved to well they moved to roswell so we lived in roswell for a couple years so what, were you in uh, the sort of um uh, s- space alien business i was filled with all kinds of fluids and i don't remember much of it <laughs> they're experimenting <laughs> <laughs> lots of nightmares no I, I i barely remember that and then we moved to ruidoso rio doso yep have you been there ski resort town in the winter so and there's a
0: horse track. racing in yeah. the summer rio doso
3: downs. downs all yeah. american futurity quarter horse racing
0: yeah my dad wanted me to uh, to set he wanted me to buy some property he had a, f- a friend down there my dad's got big ideas nice and he had he knows a guy's got some land down there he wanted me to open a playhouse Oh, he thought like that would have been awesome. Like like I miss like I could do the radio show from the from the Playhouse and we'll then Summerstock. Yeah, do Summerstock in Rio Doce. <laughs> I don't. That'll get you places. I don't even know what's in Rio Doce. I mean, I grew up my entire life in in New Mexico. I don't. I don't even know if I've driven through it. Where is it? it it's wet. It's west. It's southwest of Albuquerque. Three hours of Albuquerque. Well, you know, like truth or consequences have yep. become sort of a thing. Yeah, like people were buying houses there. I heard. Recently? Yeah. I used to go to Truth or
3: Consequences when my father's father, uh, when he was still alive, he would fly. He had a private little plane, little tiny plane. Oh, he owned a plane? Yep. And uh, not fancy-like, but- No, was but small, just one of those planes. we would fly when I was a little kid to- Like a, a mid-sized car plane. Yeah, and we'd go fishing. He would fly? Yeah. And you'd just get in the plane? And my grandma was in the passenger seat, which she was co-piloting. And you were in back? Yeah. In a plane? Yeah. And we went and, and they That's had a
0: motorhome- that was uh, and the, he taught me how to shoot a gun sure and, and
3: you got to
2: learn
0: that yeah i went to camp up in pecos we got we we shot guns we loaded uh, shotgun shells i'm we incredibly fished. appreciative of my new mexico upbringing so you know how to shoot you know how to fish how did yeah, that come I... in handy <laughs>
3: yeah in harlem where i live now does it ever do you ever do you ever <laughs> go fishing <laughs> Neil, <laughs> no, you know what? I do have a desire, though, to uh, to camp and fish and and all that sort of Boy Scout stuff. I you love do. That. I love that stuff. Yeah. Why don't you? I ponder that because I'm filming a a Netflix show right now in Vancouver. Which one? It's called a series of
0: unfortunate events based on the Lemony. The Snicket Lemony Snicket books. books. Yeah, that guy. I know that guy. The guy who wrote the books. I met him once. Daniel Handler. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Very interesting guy. Hilarious. Yeah. Hit and the very... jackpot with those fucking books, huh?
3: Yeah, there were thirteen of them. <laughs> yeah, and we're making them into a series. So. Dark children's tales. Indeed. Barry Sonnenfeld's the, the executive producer. The Baudelaire family. The Baudelaires. Klaus. Yeah. Yeah.
0: violet and sunny. You know it's like not gonna, like, you know, the, the, just the idea of naming a children's character the Baudelaire's and all that baggage that that, bring, that name brings is kind of beautiful. It's amazing. And I play Count Olaf, the evil villain. Himself. So you're like in all of them. Oh yeah. I'm the, I'm,
3: and I have, three hours of prosthetic makeup every morning and oh yeah yeah it's a big fun deal but while I'm there yeah I sounded fishing like, that sound like a plug camping. it sounded like I was fishing for a plug no but I was but there's so much hiking and camping in Whistler and BC is extraordinary and I so. keep wanting to go camping
0: yeah but it hasn't happened yet. This is well, year I three th- that I've been there. I well, I think at, at your level, you could probably just call somebody to set up everything you need. But that's what you don't want to do, right? I don't know. What do we going to buy a tent? Because I grew up in in tiny town, New Mexico, where there were you could just hu-
3: the great thing about living there is yeah. that w- it was one school <laughs> and one town, and you in Rio doso, yeah, and you knew how to. I lived there my whole childhood. Up and until your grandparents had mobile home,
0: but mobile home's different. That right? was in
3: Truth or Consequences. Oh, that was we had a nice house that my father actually built. Uh, with his own two hands yeah wow and but what, is he a we house knew, no he's an attorney hmm. and uh but we knew how to then get from my house to a friend's house by going through the woods yeah and you knew hunger game style <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah that this tree you turn this yeah. way and you could run full sprint and 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 all of that so we would camp and fish and do all of those things intense intense yeah, yeah. for totally i thought you meant was it intense <laughs> It was very intense. Intense. Uh, uh, intense, intense. <laughs> yeah, but tents are great. And now that I have kids and they're seven, first grade, it seems like the appropriate time to be taking oh, yeah, them out. Man. And- doing that get them out there scare them with the camping because i don't like the camping in california i've been camping where you just go to a camp site koa and there's just 15 different campgrounds of america spots where people have built
0: fires and it's already a fire ring and there's a and there's a public restroom with showers yeah that kind of place you're talking like you're it's not quite camping but it's not horrible It feels like you're tailgating well, the thing is with kids, you know, like at a certain age, like if it's a nice campground and they do have facilities, it's, you know, it's a load off, you know, you want to... But that's the whole point. You want to go, you want to
3: hike out to a place where you're theoretically alone. Okay. And well so then... if you're going to poop somewhere, you have to find the poop place, yeah. declare it, do yeah. the whole, do the whole thing, right? Yeah. If, you, if you go to
0: the can and it's this weird I don't know, dilding. like I, I think I'm out, you know, <laughs> <and> once... <laughs> Digging for the, looking for the poop hole. I'm okay with it, but I think as a family, if the four of you go and yeah. you've got two kids, it's going to be quite an ordeal, uh, the pooping. I'm, it, that's what I'm thinking. It's fine, but you, you just know. bring those little wet nap things. And then, yeah, and then what are you going to do with those? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> you need a poop, a poop hole yeah, for the things. Need, well, No, you're going to need the bag. you going uh, to need uh, a bag. Uh, yeah. Okay. See, now this you're is carrying. Getting, is it getting worse? Yeah, there's extra baggage there. I don't know. Literally. Look, I, I think there's probably a good way there's a middle ground. I mean, a campground. I, I remember, yes. I bought a tent... And uh, it was with my second wife and we were going to go camping. I think we did it once. Hmm. And uh, we ended up at a campground. It wasn't great, but it wasn't horrible. It wasn't comfortable. Were there other people in other campsites
3: right around you? Because I feel like that would be, that would is what I wouldn't like.
0: Well, yeah, that'd be bad because the, then judging. people
3: would recognize you and then you'd have oh, to deal I don't with that think, shit. No, I don't think about that. I just think I'd look at their tent
0: and our,
2: yeah, and our you know, tent and
0: think, oh, is our tent, should, should I have put it
2: No. Better?
0: Yeah. yeah, you got to put the tent up either way. Yeah. And with four people, you got to get a pretty big tent. Yeah, I scrambled eggs. Yeah, sure. Enough,
3: or should I have brought the fucking bacon like those guys did? Right. I'd rather just be by myself. The cooler? Being cool. That's right, the food, just man. cool enough. Then you got to buy the camping, cooking stuff. It's a lot of stuff, but it's worth it, and I want to do it, and I, okay. I'm vowing to you here and now. We're okay. Here, we're there until May. You're gonna, so I'm going to have to do the end. whole uh, there? No, I'm there. They're going to come for a, a spell. Okay. So why are you down here? Did we cover that? Why am I down here in LA? Yeah, I'm promoting multiple things, dude. I have a bunch of random things that are happening. I'm promoting right now an NBC quiz show called Genius Junior that I'm doing. That so I'm this is kid kids producing
0: and hosting the classic uh, a classic take on the old Smart Kids show and on sort of the college. Oh, smart kids. No, oh. it's
3: kids. It's eight to four, oh, okay. eight to fourteen. But that's kind of the idea. Two right. teams of three kids. Yeah. And I'm the host, and I and I, I do series kids, of like the questions. really smart
0: kids. Correct. So the kids that you know you, you, they're impressive, but you kind of feel bad for them. <laughs> that was my worry. Right? They did a national search uh, to get all
3: these kids, and they, and and they wound up with actual people kids. Yeah. That actually are nice and have other other hobbies. (laughs) There's a round where uh, it's a spelling round, and they have to spell as many words as they can in 90 seconds or 60 seconds, and they have to spell them backwards. Okay. So I'll say say, spell omnidirectional backwards. And as fast as you could spell it forwards, they spell it backwards. Seriously? And it is unbelievably exciting to watch. It's jaw-dropping. And the kids are having a good time? Super having a good time. They were super supportive of each other. That was my only concern as a human yeah. is that we bring these kids to a sound stage yeah. and lights and an audience and then their their takeaway at the end is that it was not fun or or bad oh, right. oh, yeah. i wanted to make yeah. sure that this okay. unique weirdness was something that they enjoyed
0: the only thing i really like the only thing that comes to mind for me right now with the, that show or the idea of that show is that show in the movie magnolia you remember <laughs> The 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 washed up uh, TV actor father who brings his kid. He's a genius, and they don't let him pee. Yeah, I mean, no, we let them pee. We good, gave them okay, pee good. breaks. That's all. I, that's, I think that was a, a long way around me asking you. Could the kids do you, pee? Do you torture the kids? <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: I was so aware, dude.
0: I was a little kid actor. I mean, yeah. I wasn't that little How'd when I started. How did you survive I... that? How did you survive that?
3: Well, I have I have really nice parents, and I grew up in New Mexico. So we weren't we I didn't come from a line of parents who in, who, who were in the business or who needed me to accomplish certain things. Well, this what, was this random circumstance that allowed me to start working.
0: How did, but yeah, but let's talk about that. So you're in Rio Dozo? Yeah. Did you go? You went. You you went all the way through high school in Rio Dozo?
3: I went through. Um, I think in the beginning of my freshman year of high school, we moved back to Albuquerque. What part my, of town? my brother had graduated, mm. uh, and then we moved to Albuquerque. Just two of you? Yep. Uh, older brother. What, what part of town? In Albuquerque? Yeah. Uh, the Northeast Heights. Now, how do you become Doogie Hauser? So, I'm in... At that <laughs> point, I'm still in uh, elementary school. Oh, really? When the you Doogie moved Howser back? Thing. No, I'm still in Ruidoso. Yeah. And there's a summer from eighth... Uh, I, I just graduated the eighth grade. Yeah. And there was a, uh, a high school program in New Mexico State in Las Cruces sure. for uh, theater students, a theater camp. Now, were you doing theater? You weren't doing theater. I was a sort of precocious little kid in Ruidoso. So I was in the uh. Episcopal Church adult choir at 10. Uh-huh. And I was, I was the leader of the uh-huh. choir in the middle school. I teach harmony parts. Uh-huh. I was a bit of. You know <laughs> that guy that kid
2: <laughs> <laughs> I liked to
3: perform. It's good you got parents and stuff It was good you <laughs> yeah
0: right it's good yeah. good parents and you have people at least got your back huh? so
3: the the, the, the church uh, the the choir director and the band director thought that I should go to a performing arts high school. Uh-huh. which we thought was just a shitty idea. Who, you're, you and your family? Yeah. And you're what,
0: being, to go to New York? You'd have to go to New York. I don't know, California, New York. You're yeah. just entirely
3: uprooted. felt sure. like military school, just sending your child away for a whole other thing. Yeah, with so, not
0: as much discipline as military school, I think. <laughs>
3: you think? I think. Probably so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we ended up, uh, go, I ended up going to this, I was the, one of the youngest kids in this in this drama camp at yeah. Mexico State, so I got to stay in the dorms. It was it was uh, helmed by Mark Medoff, prolific playwright, right? Wrote Children of a Lesser God, oh, right, uh, which is being revived on Broadway uh, this coming season, and he had written this movie called Clara's Heart, a Whoopi Goldberg movie that they were doing for Warner Brothers. Hmm. And the opposite uh, lead was a, a kid, a waspy kid yeah. in Baltimore. Yeah. And he was, uh, the parents were getting divorced and she was their Jamaican maid. Hmm. And she sort of, uh, it was based on a book. So yeah. she t- t- helped him through his, uh, the, the ups and downs uh-huh. of that. And I happened to be at this camp and I happened to be in Mark's cold reading audition class. Yeah. And I happened to leave an impression upon him and he thought, and he didn't say anything to me. He told my parents at the end of the camp, hey, would your son be interested in auditioning for this film? Yeah. They thought he was joking Uh because it turns out uh, Star Search had come through Alamogordo (laughs) And and had uh, convinced us all that if we would go and give well, I don't know three hundred and fifty dollars Alamogordo. That's we they would scouted in Alamogordo. Go to Alamogordo and do Star Search regionals, and if we won that, we'd go do Star Search state, and if we got that, we'd go on the show. So we went and did that. Is that how that worked? Star Search? Apparently not, because it was a complete sham. It was not Star Search at all. It was some jackass dude that just took everyone's money and left. So we we did the show in in some weird place in Almagordo and then left. Introduction to show business. It was. Yeah. And so then this guy Mark Medoff comes to my parents at the end of this camp and says, "Hey, uh, I got this movie." (laughs) Not falling for that twice. I want your kid. That's what they said. They said, no, we're not interested. Yeah, send us a script, buddy. <laughs> and so sure enough, they sent a script, a FedEx, the script
0: from Warner Brothers. That's so funny. To
3: uh, Ruidoso. Your and, folks
0: are already cynical.
3: And then it was real. So yeah. then they had to sit me down and explain that that had all happened. And, and it was all very real. I ended and how up getting that movie. I was 12, mm. turning 13, filmed that movie. And then flew from, out to LA. Uh, flew to Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore. St. Michael's, Maryland. Was there, is it a big part? Pretty that was part. the lead. Oh, was wow. was the co-lead opposite Whoopi.
0: So it was a big... Was she nice to you? ...education.
3: She's awesome.
0: Oh, good. Has she ever been on the show? No, I'd like to get hold of her. I have to go to New York, I think. She's hanging out in New York. Yeah, she week. doesn't like to fly. Oh, really? Yeah. She Are you guys take, still friends? She takes buses.
3: Yeah. So, yeah, she's sort of... She's very mentor When I first met her, I got to fly to Malibu to actually meet with her. It uh-huh. was another surreal experience. This she kid. lived out there then? Yeah. So in the middle of nowhere New Mexico, going to Malibu on the coast, pulling up to a house, walking into this house, which was great. Yeah, and then down the stairs was fucking Whoopi Goldberg getting up. long dreads put in.
0: Oh, really? It's, outdoors? Yeah. Like, was it outdoors? No, it, in it was inside.
3: Oh, okay. And uh, and, and I got and to she sit and to <laughs> sh- the fat with her for a little bit, and she was super nice. <laughs> what I'm very appreciative of is that she talked to me like a person, uh huh, like a coworker person, uh-huh. as opposed to a child. Uh-huh. And my parents uh, did the same, and I do the same to our kids. I think I think it's important to have kids be be treated as if they're
0: people. Uh, it, like, well, can you give me the option? Like, what does it sound like when you're not treating them like people? Uh, may, maybe more, well, it's probably how you're thinking, but more
3: how you're speaking. So instead of saying, um, well, I would prefer if you said, Hi Tom, you're you're 11 years old, welcome to the set, here's where you're going to stand, it's going to be a lot of pressure, but I believe that you're up for it, and it's going to be good, as opposed to, hi, so you're Tommy, I'm Neil, I'm going to be the host, so here's what's going to happen, there's going to be a lot of people, and it might make you nervous, but don't be nervous, okay? Can yeah. I see a smile right now? That's what I want is a
0: smile. I'm going to stay like that. Yeah. Should I just find? But well, that's, yeah, it's horrible because they see you walk away and talk differently to everyone else. Right. You, just, you, you step away to one adult, like, hey, this kid did, you know, Just they, be normal. They, yeah.
3: So I I was very careful of the kids in the the Genius Junior to make sure that their their takeaway was was positive. So you had that experience
0: throughout your career. People treated you, mostly people treated you like a grown up or with a certain amount of, they didn't treat you like a little child? Yeah, like you were a commodity that had something to to help with as
3: opposed to uh, an annoying kid that they just had to deal with. But you were an annoying kid. Well, you weren't. I don't, hope, hope I wasn't. No,
0: you seem very well grounded. It sounds like your parents were like well were supportive and nice yeah. and decent people. I've always loved the
3: process of how things work. Yeah, I haven't been. I've never been super blinded by what comes from something, I'm more interested in how things work. What does that mean? What do you mean? Meaning even coming here. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the fact that it's literally just you here in your garage by yourself. That <laughs> did there's, you, did that there, you think there were more? I thought there'd be a couple more people that were managing the sounds <laughs> and I thought that there would be... <laughs> uh, I, I don't know a, Coffee a, a snacks Videographer guy yeah. That was filming it for I don't know what it was No interesting But no. you're just I, I, So I like And I like seeing While you're clicking on things On your computer I, Yeah Just I would, watching the levels I would
0: wonder What program you're using I'm using GarageBand uh, Old school I'd I wanted through, to get into the garage band. i don't I don't do anything with it other than record voices. I go through an analog mixer for some reason. I do a backup on a zoom, and then I watch the levels and I can manage those with the little knobbies here. And then occasionally I just you know i I, I, I poke at your hey uh, my hey, easy. I'm sorry. And eventually I'll click uh, or occasionally I'll click on your uh, your your filmography. Oh, nice! To you know, of research. Yeah, we'll but just then see with garage? Uh, garage band? Do you go and put some cool beats underneath it? If yeah, it's of course, if it's gonna be total hip hop. Oh, you know, that's my producer. I just I let him do whatever he wants. If he wants to do the Neil Patrick Harris dance mix, it's gonna happen. Nice. I'm yeah, in, I'm into let, that. Let me know when you feel like that. That's where it's needed. Thumping bass. Yeah. So, okay, so you do these movies, and do you move out here?
3: So I did Clara's Heart, then I went back to my life, and then in I... In New Mexico. I, yep, and I was a child working at a Schlotsky sandwich shop. Where, in Albuquerque? In Ruidoso. Oh, in Ruidoso, the
0: only one. The only one, I believe, it's yeah. still there. I was far too young. I don't I know, know how exciting. they paid me. Swatsky's was exciting when it first came on. Yeah, they're great. It was a big round bread, the muffalita sandwich, basically. Sure. Yeah, it, but I remember when it happened when we were probably, in, I was probably early on in high school, and it was exciting to have a new fast food place. They're still delicious. Wendy's, I remember when Wendy's happened, too. It's before your time. but I was super excited when a McDonald's opened up in Ruidoso. That was a big deal.
3: Really, we a, remember? A, a Dairy Queen town. Dairy Queen. Yeah. We'd go get the ice cream
0: cones. That you braising, would, brazier. What was the they, name of the burger? Brazier. Brazen burger. Brazier. Was it? A brazier? brazier. Yeah. Brazier. Right. Something like that. What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know, man. Is that a guy's name? No, I don't. I don't know. I think it's like. Uh, I don't know. Braising. A thing you do with meat. I don't know, but I remember it was sort of. Well, I think that was the name of the burger. I don't remember yeah. eating it. Oh, did they have Blake's Lotta Burger? Oh yeah, Blake's Lotta Burger. No one knows about Blake's, but They're us. Great. Green. They were big. You get jalapenos on there, green chili. Green
3: chili cheeseburgers, the best. Green chili cheeseburgers.
0: So then I was just there back in school doing my
3: thing, and yeah. then uh, working at Schlotzky's. Yeah, uh, I got an I then had an agent from doing the movie. Were you she the singing Schlotzky's guy? Did you, did you? I did enjoy uh, that when I had the job to finish the sandwiches and call out to people's names. Yeah, and I would make up rhymes. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. I would Lin
0: Manuel Miranda you, myself. <laughs> you couldn't help yourself, no matter where you were. <laughs> this is, I got some stage time. Yeah, I'm going to talk to the people. You you want a 12-foot sandwich that's less
3: than two feet. This sandwich is for a guy named Pete. Oh,
0: and some guy grumbles you know up. Saying, Shut uh, the fuck yeah. up, kid. kid, trying to eat on break. So, all right, so you're, okay. And so then you. I
3: went and I, I, I was asked randomly occasionally to go do other weird things. So I yeah. went and did a movie called Purple People Eater. What Base was The Sheb Woolley song by the same name. Uh, uh, Brian, uh, Brian, Brian, Purple, Purple People, People Eater. Eater. Brian, Sheb Woolley was in the show, <laughs> in the movie. It was? Yeah, as was... Was that a big movie? No. No, it was a children's <laughs> film. It was one of my like worst experiences. Um, but Why? that we got to film in LA. Why
0: was it the worst experience? It was
3: just not good. Really? It was, it was not well made, and the director wasn't, wasn't no. a, 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 Didn't a, ty- learn a tyrant woman. Oh, yeah? and um, Who was in that? What's her name? Was it all kids? Um, was it one of those all kids thing? It was a kids movie, except the co-star was... Um, this giant puppet creature that was the purple people eater wouldn't you know? A one eyed, one horned, one horned Ned, Ned Beatty, sure, Ned was Beatty. my grandpa, and Shelly Winters was in it. Oh, the, well, that's <laughs> that's why that, that was the pitch, and I said, sure, because rather work at, than working at Schlotsky's. Ned Beatty's great, do make a Ned Beatty was great, and was He was he? lovely. Shelly Winters, a piece of work, yeah, oh. Mm. What? What? What are we waiting for? Oh, and she had a pillow. My back, my back is always oh, my back is worried. And she had this round pillow to protect her uh, her butt, and so she'd carry around this pillow, and
0: and that was. That was I, I dry. feel like that's an Oscar winner. You're talking about that's worth a VHS <laughs> trip. I feel like she was like a methody person. she was like one of the early. Like, uh, like you know, people's theater. Like, she, oh But Mark, God. how method can you be in a movie
3: called Purple People Eater?
0: Well, did you see her in Poseidon Adventure? She nailed I, it. Nailed it. Man, she did the swimming thing and then died right after. Fewer puppets in that, probably. <laughs>
3: <laughs> then Doogie Hauser came along, the audition oh. for it. I ended up uh, booking that job. And then uh, then we had moved to Albuquerque, I think, by then. So I do half the year in L.A. with a tutor. And then... Uh, since that was only a 30-minute single-camera show, Uh, when the season was done, it was right at second semester of school. I'd go back
0: to Albuquerque. And that was cool. And you were a celebrity. I guess so, yeah. I mean, Doogie Howser was a popular show. It was. And you did, like, how many did you make? Did
3: that, like... That was uh, four seasons. I think they did 97 shows, enough for syndication. Just
0: just barely, huh? Yep. So that was it. And then, like, you did that for, like, three or four years? And then you get done with that, and you're a grown-up. But you're Doogie Howser for a lot of people. <laughs> That's very true. And back then, it was a very divided uh, uh, work ethic.
3: There were TV actors, and there were film actors, and they didn't intersect very often. No,
0: I know exactly. But you know, in even like even on TV, you know, you still had to deal with the sort of like, oh, it's Doogie Hauser's in this one. Sure, yep. but he's not Doogie Howser. Sure, right? That was a quite the uh, quite the albatross. For how long? Um You probably still get it occasionally.
3: Yeah, it's not like a, a, a sore subject or an open No, because you wound look youthful and you still look yeah. you kinda... I find people that say, Hey, Doogie <laughs> Hauser, I love you on that other show. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which is fine. They don't know your real name. Yeah. They just you're just a point, it's uh, Doogie just that, Hauser. It wasn't And a... you did a bunch of other little parts. And you actually appeared as Doogie Hauser in some other shows? I did on a on a very special Roseanne episode. You were a punchline
3: of a jokes forever. I was punchlines of jokes here and there.
0: Yeah, because yeah. like because it was a funny idea. Any like, medical Doogie young, Hauser. any
3: me- sure, medical any... plus youth equals a Doogie <laughs> Hauser punchline. Doogie Hauser punchline.
0: I go to the doctor. Like There's Doogie
3: probably seventy five yeah. people who are doctors who look kind of youngish. Yeah, come up to me. Yeah, begrudgingly saying, "I just have to tell you," <laughs> and <laughs> share their stories <laughs> about how annoying it is that they're called Doogie Hauser. <laughs> <laughs> and I I feel their pain, but you know I I what I have learned in all of my forty four years is that you you I like to hope for longevity mm-hmm. and multiple chapters in a book and not just hoping that the thing that you're doing is what's gonna happen forever of course of course and so um, I, I I I had that perspective at the beginning of Doogie Howser um, and you worked you kept working Stephen Bocchko was was the per- producer of that show and he had done hill street blues and la law and so he, he was, did doogie hauser yeah he was a one out and um and david kelly so the, it was two. really
0: david kelly is early on in both of their careers Correct. And he, he just has a big thing now what's his big thing now the wh- little lies the big little lies Wasn't oh yeah david you're kelly? absolutely right yeah. yeah yeah good for him and he did the other one with the uh, Callista Flockhart. what was that one Allie McBeal. Allie McBeal. This feels like a quiz show. Married Michelle Pfeiffer, too. He did, and she's still just gorgeous. And great acting. Yep, yep. She's a very good
3: actress. But Botchko said to me early on, listen, he sat me down and said, kid, listen, this is going to be like uh, surfing. That you have to, you're going to catch this wave. We hope that it's good, that it lasts a long time. The wave will crash, yeah, and you will have to decide whether you want to swim back out. And in doing so, you're going to get nailed by other waves and have to right yourself. And once you do, you're going to sit out there for a while, waiting for another good wave to come. And that was sort of his metaphor. His metaphor, Uh and I, I dug it, and I still appreciated it. So when I was stressful, stressed about uh, the Doogie Howser-ness of it all. I appreciate at the same time that I just needed some time to pass between. And that was during the and TV you, movie years, the TV movie decade where I could do a TV movie a year. Yeah. And where I- Is that enough though? Was it? Yeah, they paid good money for it. Oh, those, they did? Yeah. And then you'd go to Vancouver or Toronto right. and you'd- And were you living out here full time by then? I was living here full time by then, yeah.
0: But you moved out in, uh, after Doogie or when in the I middle When I graduated of Doogie? in 91- uh, towards the I, end of doogie yeah i moved out here full time with your folks nope no solo style and when did were you were you out then no 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 not really but not no, I was, you, but you weren't struggling with anything well i think
3: i was i was struggling more with figuring out how to who I was how yeah. to be as a person right. sexuality is certainly I guess a, a pivotal part of that but just how to stand tall and how yeah. to move my limbs because when you're <laughs> doing a show for four years you're just meant to stand still so that the focus <laughs> puller doesn't have to do much work right. you know? deliver the joke yeah so yeah. I went uh, so I found that I didn't know how to really move as an actor or as, as a, a human as a human <laughs> And then when I went out, people would sort of recognize me, and I yeah. kind of wanted anonymity, and I kind of wanted to just figure shit out and try to be an asshole or try to be goth or try to, I don't know, just what try Wait, Did stuff. You go through a goth thing? No, <laughs> I didn't. But I didn't. I, I didn't have the uh, ability to do that. <laughs> of course not. People would have noticed. Did pictures all over the that place? That was just Doogie Howser goes goth. I guess so. Well, thankfully it wasn't a TMZ world. I mean, the internet was very, very new back then too. So, so information still didn't pass so quickly, but I was just paranoid and I didn't feel like I was able to just exist as I wanted to. I was still locked in this. uh, How do I exist to uh, please other
0: people? And I think the judgment was different. I mean, it still wasn't, you you know, being out was not a huge, like everyone wasn't out yet. For sure. It was a, a question that was
3: taboo to ask. Yeah. It was sort of a right. shame on you for asking the question, and then everybody's then. sort
0: of like, "We think he's." Yeah.
3: And I was also really—I I didn't develop very quickly. Yeah. So even at seventeen or eighteen, I just looked much younger. Right. So, so opportunity never really came my right. way. Yeah. You know, yeah. I had desires, but I, they were so there, there was no way in L.A. I was going to at. 20 years old with a fake ID go to Rage on <laughs> Santa, Monica Santa Monica Boulevard you know and just, like, see what happens I was like not in uh, that wasn't how you were going to get started no <laughs> so I just sort of did this yeah, sort of young Hollywood thing and went uh-huh. to went to all those bars that they went yeah.
0: to yeah and did you did you did date though well. yeah so, oh good
3: I dated a fair amount. Um. so so girls I didn't date guys for a long time oh really mm-hmm. oh okay is that what you mean by dating did i date guys yeah no how would i meet them i I thought well
0: i mean you know don't
3: like i would i mean give me an instance where
0: that would happen well you're hanging out with other young people and i imagine that there's other young people that were in the same boat that you were and you you just had to sort of happen upon them yeah that never really
3: oh never really happened i would i i could assert that some of the friends that i hung out with were in a similar situation right but that wouldn't be a conversation Oh, We'd right. both be trying to act super
0: uh-huh. tough right. and straight. Cool, right, yeah. yeah. Where are the chicks at?
3: Who you banging tonight? Yeah. <laughs> Smell my finger.
0: Oh, good, that one, that no, classic. That one a great yeah, one. sure. I use it a lot. Uh,
3: did, oh, did you? No, I never did,
0: actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, were you taking, like, what was your training, though? I mean, because, you, you know, you you sort of came into the movement and the body and all that other stuff, but you did you train as an actor at all? No. No. <laughs> No, I didn't. <laughs> I did four. I really just learned by to being
3: one of those on guys. set. Cause, right. Because the Bochco Doogie Hauser work, I mean, the, the name is ridiculous, but the work was good. Yeah. I mean, we were doing six, seven pages a day of single camera, hardcore medical jargon. Sure. Walk and talks, long one shots. I mean, it, we were having to work hard. So I got a good education about how, it, how you make a film. Uh, even though it was a TV show, it was, right. it was single camera and it was, right. it was work. So when I was done with that, I went and started doing theater. I went and did uh, some Shakespeare. I did Romeo and that the old you did? globe in, in San Diego. And I did. Uh, How'd
0: that go for you? Really,
3: really great. You could take, you, you took to the language. I took to the language. I was terrified of it. I felt like a super fish out of water. No coach. I, no, well, they gave me the a guy named Dakin Matthews, who's uh, uh-huh. still a prolific actor and works all the time, uh, was living in San Diego, and, and he sat with me for a full week before we started the first rehearsal, and we went through all the text, and he explained iambic pentameter and what it meant because one of the feelings I hate to this day is feeling fraudulent, you know, is feeling like I don't belong. Yeah. And so when you go to a Shakespeare company of people who... Have trained in the theater and Shakespeare and now you're the lead because you're a child star because you're on TV yeah you're at this weird I thought a weird deficit of of judgment right and so and I and there's no way to quickly inform yourself of the canon of Shakespeare sure so I just kind of had to go for it and acknowledge that it was uncomfortable for me and through that sweaty rehearsal feeling like shit yeah then
0: you get better and you kind of and how were the uh, how was the response?
3: Great! It was a it was Dan Sullivan directed it. He's a big giant uh, prolific film director, uh, theater director, and uh, Emily Burgle was my Juliet. And it was set in the past, so we were fighting with broadswords, and uh-huh. it, and it was a really great, a really great production. And That's it was a, one of those things that once you wrap your head around Shakespeare and know why you're speaking, not just speaking the words sure. to rhyme, right? Then a uh, forty five minutes will rip by. And you realize that you're lying there bang, no. banging your head on the floor because you're wailing yeah. in in a monologue, right and you're really actually in it. Oh wow, I don't know it, for, it sort of forced you it's to magic. Yeah, because you're not speaking in contemporary yeah. dialogue, you're speaking within the world that you're in, yeah and that's a pretty intense world. I, I really, really enjoyed that. I oh. went and did rent the musical uh, after that, the Nash- so you got the Nash- tour of rent. yeah, I did theater for a while. And, and that's how I moved I moved to New York uh to do more theater
0: well was that because you wanted to or because the t v work was what I always was... loved the
3: spectacle of the theater
0: yeah, yeah I would go to New York once
3: i once I was uh doing uh t v and had the money to do it I would go uh on hiatuses and see fourteen shows in eleven days really and just see everything that was there. I just fucking loved it i love I love that I still love it I love that. In the same theater, you can sit and watch an amazing show with sets that move and performances. You like the big stuff or all of it? I tend to like the big stuff. Mm -hmm. My first big musical was Les Miserables that I saw. I have a backstory with Les Mis, but it's kind of boring. But, what What happened? Well, I didn't get Clara's heart eventually, yeah. uh, originally. Yeah. Uh, they. Uh, they had oh, the a, movie with Whoopi? Yeah, they yeah. had a different director yeah. at that time, and right. they cast another kid. So I went and did the audition with Mark, and all of that went really well, and then I didn't get it. And yeah. a kid named uh, Braden Danner did it, and he was the original Gavroche, uh-huh. uh, which was a character in Les Mis yeah. on Broadway. Yeah. So I suddenly felt kinship to this kid, because uh, you saw him in Les Mis? No, because I just knew that's who he was. Oh. So I bought the soundtrack to Les Mis. Yeah. And I listened to it and listened to it. And I just sort of felt like I had a brotherhood <laughs> with him because I, I did, almost got this part and he yeah. got it. And and so uh, Les Mis became and still is probably my favorite of all the sort of musicals. But I thought you did get the part eventually. In of the, of the, well, in right. the... In the movie. Well, they ended up replacing the director. Oh. And then replaced Braden and then hired a new director did you Highland. ever meet brayden i've never met him no <laughs> he probably that? isn't doesn't feel the kinship and the brotherhood <laughs> that i probably do towards him i'd give
0: him a bear hug and he'd punch me in the nuts i don't know i don't know where that guy is so then like after all this stuff like you get this other huge show, and you're on there forever. But you do other stuff, like I'm just this is how I'm, this is how I'm conversing. I'm looking so at I, all your stuff. So,
3: so I did I, a big chapter of theater, and a, and and I I did a, uh, some Broadway stuff. And one which ones? The, uh, well, Rent's not Broadway. I did uh, Proof. Oh, that's big. Who uh, is who did you
0: play opposite of Anne that? H? Oh yeah, yeah. Have you ever had her on the show? No, Ooh. I haven't heard. I haven't heard about her lately. She. I wonder if she's she doing does. all right. Shows uh, like here and there, series
3: yeah. work here and there. Yeah, She's yeah. on a new series. Uh I did cabaret as the MC. Oh, that's
0: great. But I, that but that was later, wasn't it? Was fairly recently? I mean this is that no, was asked that, that was, was before p- your mother? Correct. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah? So I did that. So you're becoming
3: a real theater guy. And then they I was asked while I was doing cabaret to be in that Harold and Kumar movie. Okay. Harold and Kumar uh and you played White yourself? You played, I, you played Doogie Howser? They want, no, Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, and geez. I was this like super horny, drugged out... Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah ecstasy like... guy and I steal Harold and Kumar's car. Yeah. And I worked for a few days on that and uh, and then that... Playing was, against
0: type, I uh, guess. Very much
3: against type, uh-huh. uh, but sort of owning the Doogie stuff and yeah, yeah. sort of being, yeah, yeah. being <laughs> that joke. <Yeah. laughs> but in a fun way. Okay. And I got a little bit of respect uh-huh. and then um, Carter Bays and Craig Thomas who wrote... Um, how i met your mother and were the executives on that were fans of that okay and so i ended up auditioning and getting that and playing op- against type again barney stinson yeah nine Which- nine years on that show that was definitely
0: doubly syndicated yeah it's still on a lot of days a, a lot of hours it's in crazy day. i talked to Radner years ago in yeah here i mean you guys really had him and i've talked to jason sure um but that was a huge show yeah I think that erased some Dooginess, mm-hmm. right? Totally, because yeah. he was nothing
3: like Doogie in any way, and he was just super straight guy, baller, yeah, sharp dressed, yeah, 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 Scotch drinking. Did you like doing that? Loved. <laughs> I loved that gig. That was a great, great gig. Good people, right? Great work environment. Great people writing it. Great, uh, great woman directed it, and I got to wear suits all the time. I mean, he, he was a real character. But I think one of the fears that I had and I assume other people have when they sign up for a sitcom is that you wind up six, seven years later being... Urkel, you know, being sort of the well, you, but the, you, the butt of the you joke, beat that one, the sight gag of but you the joke, beat that one. I don't mean as a person. Yeah. I think Jaleel White's a super nice guy. Mm-hmm. I just mean you don't want to end up being the character on a sitcom where you, you walk in and everyone laughs at what you're wearing. Gary you Coleman. Know, you don't want to be sure. the butt of the joke. Yeah. You don't know if you're gonna if that's gonna happen when you sign up to do the pilot because right. you don't even know if it's the pilot's gonna get picked up. Right. In turn, Barney was the opposite of that. He right. was, looked great. Always had all these rules, delusionally awesome.
0: And also, but like you'd already sort of weathered that storm with Doogie Howser, really. I, I guess mean, a little bit, sure. I mean, and, and then like it seems that everybody in that show, you know, weren't hampered at all by uh, by the TV prison of it. No, I embraced it. <laughs> yeah, I no, mean, but I mean, doing... like you went on to do many other things. Is sure. what I'm saying. Josh, he makes his own movies. He's around. Sure. He does stuff. But the other thing, also, I would imagine with something like that is that. I, I don't know how people who make a shit ton of money really find it within themselves to keep working. <laughs> That's interesting. No, I just mean like they're, like I wonder about that. I mean, it seems like that everyone does usually. You know, I'm not in that club. But it would seem that would buy you some reprieve or or maybe you would think you would have won and maybe you do other things that you really wanted to do or maybe you're doing exactly what you want to do. I don't I know. I guess so. I,
3: I mean, the, the notion, the, the, the sentence getting a shit ton of money makes it sound like it all comes at once. And I guess if you won the lottery or something, right. you'd be more inclined to drop everything sure. and then just change your life. Yeah. But when you're when you're acting and you're aware of how much money you're not making yeah. and then you get a job and you're making good money, yeah. but it's still season one and, right. and you're hoping that it gets right. to syndication yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, you yeah. renegotiate and you're suddenly spending more because you're making more sure, and it yeah. suddenly doesn't feel like you've got the windfall. Yeah, so yeah. when it's done then you're, i was thinking more of what do i do now to sort of maintain yeah, the
0: four houses the ability to work <laughs> yeah 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 what do i do now to to, to maintain this building i bought <laughs> <laughs> i didn't have a building okay i wasn't a big building and cars guy i had a nice house in, in the valley yeah i don't i don't like to buy anything i bought this this other house and i'm freaking out about it like i'm surprised i did it but i'm was excited it about it was it expensive yeah was it more expensive than you wanted to pay for it not really, because like I'm in that situation where I don't have kids, I don't have a mm. wife, and like I, I made some money with the shows, and um, this does well, and you know I'm on an, I'm on Glow on Netflix now, and you're so good on that show. Oh, thanks. Bro. Can I just say? Oh, thank you.
3: It's so it's so good, and. Oh, you're so horrible on it in such a subtle way. <laughs> like your character is horrible, not yeah, you as an actor yeah, yeah, person. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, I appreciate I've that. I've never done cocaine in my life ever. Yeah. And so it seems very cokey. So no drugs for you ever? No, I've done, I, I, I've smoked a fair amount of pot. and yeah. uh and That's I've, fun, right? I played with the, um, with oh, the yeah, acid-y th- yeah. I
1: Ecstasy. did that once I did
3: the mushrooms a few times sure. every time convinced this time would be better than the last and I always wind up in my bathroom in front of the mirror looking at myself going you can do this dude <laughs> pull your shit together you can just fucking just go just <laughs> let go just pull your fucking shit together and then that's, that never works out a <laughs> night of that Yeah, always (laughs) five five times I've done that, and I decided I'm done with that. Done with mushrooms. (laughs) But the cocaine never, ever has ever come my way. I have never been at a party where there was, uh, uh, I don't know, a pile of it on a
0: table. Yeah, that's. I've uh, never been. That's that's pretty high end party specific type of party. I went
3: to a party at Jack Nicholson's house. Yeah. And I uh, and I was talking to everyone. we super amped up, and they were all so lovely. And it turns, and they kept going upstairs to the bathrooms upstairs. Yeah, sure, and I only realized as I was getting in the car that that's probably what was going on. Yeah, but it's never been offered me. I don't know why.
0: Why were you at Jack Nicholson's house?
3: That's a really good question. Friend of a friend. Oh yeah, I guess so. Did yeah. you talk to Jack? I did say hello to him. Yeah, and that was about it. That or? was about it. Yeah. Oh. His daughter, daughter. Uh huh. Does he have a daughter? I think so. Yeah. I think she was in her twenties or something like that. So it was more her party he than and and. And he was, was he wandering there.
0: around like a bathrobe? Like I, don't, I what? He had sunglasses on. Uh uh-huh. But I don't think a bathrobe. I wonder how he's doing out there. I just wonder about him. Like he, I miss seeing him at the Oscars and stuff. But he's old now, you know. Does he not act anymore? Really, ever? I haven't seen him at all in anything. But he used to, at the very least, sit up front at the Oscars, yeah,
3: and give the look.
0: Yeah, with his glasses and on, you knew he was stoned, and yeah. All, yeah, yeah, yeah i love that stuff. Is he he wasn't there when you hosted was he uh, i don't believe so no i don't remember when he stopped going so it was uh, oprah was the was in the front row when i was there that, uh, was, that was
3: the big deal Oprah. but well, what is narrow. it
0: with the now are you a practicing magician yeah well yeah i guess so
3: I'm yeah a, i'm a collector and i and i love magic i love it the same way i love circus and juggling and sort of the variety
0: arts how are tra- you juggling? trampolining. Pretty good. You, you do all those things? You I trapeze? Yep, yep. Yeah. And you trampoline? Yeah. And you do magic. Close-up magic? Or do you do big... I've You have a tank? I've been per-
3: A <laughs> water torture cell. Yeah, that's where the kids go when <laughs> <Yeah>. they misbehave. Because
0: <laughs> I see all through your sort of information about you, there's a, a through line of magic.
3: I love sort of... I love live experiential entertainment uh-huh. and maybe that came from being in ruidoso and once a year the state fair would be in albuquerque we'd oh, drive up for three hours and yeah. at the state fair there would be the midway and you'd go back and there'd be the freak show you know and it, ronnie and donnie you'd go and you'd see popeye the dude with his eyes that would open yeah, up man. And his eyes would bulge and stick out
0: and i did I, you see the guy with the biggest feet no did but you I, see ronnie and donnie the siamese twins they were touring for a while really no i never saw them it was uh, mostly uh, uh, livestock. It
3: would be the world's biggest cat did, pig. Oh, but you didn't see the little guy, the world's littlest, littlest man, who was all like, he
0: looked like a little I basketball? Think there,
3: I think there might have been a little oh, person, maybe, but probably not, not, it, that guy? not that dude. Did you get the Indian fry bread? always yeah <laughs> but through that was a lot of magic tricks yeah, yeah. right because there'd also be the spider lady yeah which was just a magic trick it was a woman that was in in a sure it looked it looked like she was on a cobweb and right. her arms were spider arms but it was just a, a mirror a 45 degree oh yeah, mirror yeah, effect, yeah, yeah, right? yeah yeah, and so i was kind of fascinated by magic through performance and so through then the i spider lo- lady i <laughs> I loved all of that, so I loved when circuses would come into town. I saw every circus in when it would go through Santa Monica, and um, and my love of magic just kind of grew. I became a junior member of the Magic Castle. Yeah, and then um, how do you become
0: that? Do you have to do you have to perform for people? Yeah, I auditioned. Did really, a, did a little set. You know Andrew Goldenhurst? I do very well. Yeah. yeah, lovely guy. Yeah, he's a good guy.
3: He's Super g- good.
0: He's a good uh, magician, right?
3: Great magician. Yeah, and he's a great magician. He'll do all kinds of gigs. So yeah, he'll do. He can do. Uh, fill a whole stage at, the, at right. the Magic Castle, but you can also go and and work a, a business party or something. Yeah, work and a line, do equally good yeah. stuff. And so that's we live in a in a technological society uh-huh. almost exclusively now. Yeah. A lot of people wait to see movies on Apple TV because their their screen in their living room is gigantic. Right. So why why not just wait and right. uh, own it? Right. So I think there's reason to go see Broadway shows. There's reason to go to sleep no more and see immersive theater there's a reason to go to the magic castle there's reason magic is one of those things that is much much better when you're doing it live the human seeing, element yeah when yeah you're blown away when you see yeah, david when, copperfield saw someone in two in front of you less, yeah. less exciting as a tv special yeah still cool to see right but you assume there's trickery but not, but when you're actually there watching this stuff actually happen so yeah i'm pretty fascinated with it
0: do you see the i don't Cirque go no nope. i don't go to anything why? I don't know, man. Don't you feel like... A missing life? A little. That kind of life. <laughs> well, like... But you go... You I check always out, get I'll very go- moved. You know what I mean? Like, I watch a lot of comedy. I'll go see some music. I'll go see uh, shows sometimes. Like, raise and... Well, not too much of that. I don't do the cabaret thing, but like I, when I go to New York, the last few times I've been there, I've been set up with tickets because I interviewed Annie Baker, so I saw her stuff. Nice. I like musicals when I go. I don't, yeah. but I don't seek them out. I don't know why. It's there's some part of me that just doesn't want to have a good time, Neil. Okay, <laughs> I, I don't know why. You don't. I, I always enjoy them. So, how are you with exercise? Good. Pretty you good. consider that a bad time? Like yeah, you, it's a bad you know time. it's going to be a bad time, but you're going to do it anyway. It's pretty bad. I could use more cardio. How are you with it?
3: Yeah, I work out a fair amount. Yeah, but I. It, it's hard for me to say go on a hike. Yeah. Once I'm on the hike, I'm loving it. It's nice. Yeah, but I. The yeah, idea, I feel that way about everything. <laughs> <laughs> that exact feeling is, is what. But I, there's not a part of you that says. If I I know that if I see a show like this. It's no, harder in LA, though, because to no, it get, is. get yeah. in a car and go to the Mark Taper Forum downtown and yeah. park and to see a show and you don't know about it. Oh, New York, it. you just go.
0: Like, are there are house seats available? You Can get I get the, them? Yeah, you
3: get on the subway and you go see a I show. I always enjoy theater, even if it's shitty. Well, the next time you're in New York, I'm producing a show, a one-man magic show by a guy named Derek Delgadio. It's mm. called In and of Itself. Yeah. And it's playing till August. And it's unbelievable. It's all magic. It's a monologue that he tells. It's about 80 minutes, no intermission. And throughout it, there's five different effects that he does. And none of them are pick a card any card or for my next trick kind of things. Yeah. It's all kind of ruminations about uh, identity and, and he speaks to the audience. Yeah. It's, you would, it's, okay. it's, it's a truly special thing. It's extended four times and and it's played almost for a year now. It's broken, That's great. It's broken records there. I saw the
0: magic show when I was a child. With Doug Henning? Yes. No way. I did. I heard it wasn't very good. I don't know. My grandma brought me in. I must have been like eight or nine. When was that? Early 70s, right? Uh, Mid. Mid 70s. I think so. So I was like 13, something maybe. Doug Henning. He was great. Canadian magician from the- Saw that when I was a kid. Saw the black- uh guys and dolls when it first uh, the first no black cast of guys and dolls because uh, my aunt and uncle brought me to that i saw beetlemania when i was a little kid i saw james earl jones in fences here Ooh. in la
3: and that was a real pivotal moment because i was very emotional watching lynn figpen recite a monologue while she peeled potatoes about how difficult her life was it's a fantastic monologue great and i was weeping and i was young i it was right at the beginning of coming to la ever yeah. and i was i was really moved by the fact that i knew nothing about baltimore or this plight or this life yeah. and i was so impacted by what it is they were saying yeah and i think that theater has the opportunity to do that in a way that i probably wouldn't have been as moved if i was on my couch in the living room watching the same thing
2: yeah
0: because i would have w- distraction sure. and oh no, theater's great i mean like in my life i've gone and uh, i definitely like going yeah it's just a little bit hard especially on the west coast it's you hard like,
3: to do theater on the West Coast.
0: Well who are your magicians? Who are the who like give me a lesson? Who historically who should I know? Who are the greats? Um well probably I would go stage
3: magicians more. So Thurston, Howard Thurston, uh-huh. uh Harry Houdini, yeah, uh Dante, uh Sergio Leroy. Yeah. Uh those ones who invented and did the big giant tours, yeah, and yeah. trains. Yeah. Um as far as mentalism, I think James Randy's super
0: strong. Mentalism, what's the difference? What's mentalism? That's mentalism. That close up? Is it's, that close up?
3: No, it's uh I can predict something that you're thinking of. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So And that's a trick. Write something. Can, write something in his envelope. They don't really do it. I'll put this in an envelope. Do you know the tricks? Then I'll hold it up. I know most of the tricks, yeah. Yeah. That doesn't bother you? That I know the tricks? Yeah. No, because again I like to I like to, I like knowledge. So I like to know
0: how do you know him? did they tell you did somebody break the oath or are you part of the brotherhood so you're allowed to know him well I think when
3: you've studied enough you have sub- you can suppose how things are done you know, oh you do oh there's you know moves multiple methods sure, of how sure. things are accomplished sure. and I think what's fun is when someone like Derek uh, and uh, Derek Delgadio will come up with a whole different way to do anything and sure. and then only a few people know how it's done at all Yeah, and then magicians that see it are blown away because they have no idea Andrew takes, I think, a chicken or a
0: rabbit out of his hair. He does. That seems difficult. He takes <laughs> a chicken out of his hair at the end. Yeah, and then he does the thing with the butterfly tattoo. Yeah. Which he they, he sold the Copperfield, but then I think he got it back.
3: Wasn't that an origami thing at first? Didn't he take an origami and and fold it up into
0: something, and it turned into a butterfly? Oh, was maybe. That the tattoo? Maybe I uh, maybe maybe it was an origami. I thought that he had a he actually made a butterfly tattoo turn into a butterfly. Maybe I'm. Misremembering it.
3: Close-up magic can go. I mean, you can go way back with people and names of of of
0: people from who wrote, yeah, amazing books. To you like Ricky J. Um, I mean, he's not really. What does he do? He's a I historian. Find, right? I
3: find Ricky J. A curmudgeon. Uh huh. And so it's it's from not it, as from, fun. from all accounts, I I hear that he's that that unless he takes a shine to you he yeah. he doesn't he he doesn't like things so uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that that disappoints me a bit but every show that i've seen him do i've uh, uh, absolutely love he's good yeah he's great he uh, is a historian yeah in fact his last show i think there were a bunch of different numbers on a big giant screen behind him, uh-huh. and people would shout out a number, and the whatever was behind the number, something would appear, and he would talk for twenty minutes about whatever that was. So oh, theoretically, on every yeah. any show, you could see anything. Yeah, that's he a- he knows a lot about the histories of magic that I certainly don't. Yeah, that's its own whole
0: skill is knowing, yeah. knowing the names. I think he of likes people, the dark side too, where the, they're the from. sort of the hustle of it. You know, like he when, was a hustler. Yeah, yeah, like when magicians were doing it for you know. I loved him as an actor. Too. He's good. He's in the Mammoth movies, yeah. Usually. But... And he was in Magnolia. He was in Magnolia. Boogie Nights. Was he in that? Have you ever talked to him, Paul Thomas Anderson? He's no, kind... I just read a whole uh, article about him. He's, he's a very goofy guy. Really, he grew, he grew up in the Valley. His dad was a like a, a, a wacky, you know, uh, TV host from Cleveland or That's somewhere. Right and like and his dad and Tim Conway were best friends I mean, no way yeah like like I thought he was some like dark genius he comes over here. he's just a goofy dude from the valley and it's very entertaining to talk to him so a, what is a goofy dude like that where does he get that stuff why is at, he so right? fucking maybe that's just his you know that's his public persona but he's obviously an incredible filmmaker and the he, phantom thread he's got he's got real balls with the filmmaking like you know like yeah, he's he- not afraid of what's gonna come at him director that's the job that's right, that's where I'm headed. Is it?? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's the
3: plan. What are you gonna do right have- now I'm quiz show host producer. I'm actor on Netflix. I'm a, a children's book writer and uh, and when all of this uh, calms down, it's gonna be directing more.
0: Well, let's talk about hosting real quick though. like how did you sort of like get into that? because that's like one of those jobs. Mm-hmm. There's a few people that do it not everybody do it does it some people get a shot at doing it but you've done it a lot so like you're you're a hoster. you can host a big event Mm -hmm. the oscars the (laughs) tonys over and over again the emmys you've Mm -hmm. hosted all of them Mm -hmm. how did you get into that what was the the i was um i was on cbs and so
3: the tonys uh was on cbs Uh and so they want they pulled from they pull from their own talent pool uh, cause then they can sure. sort of self promote. Yeah. And so, uh, they asked me to host the Tonys one year and it wasn't super heavy lifting. Um, I think they had asked a bunch of other people who had passed. Yeah. And so they asked me to do it. It was this, the big opening number that they had done with not the host, but yeah. a bunch of all of the Broadway shows, but together it's one where Brett Michaels got whacked in the head. From a set piece. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And that was a big controversy. And then I came out and told some jokes. And it went really well. And so uh, then they were pleased with my confidence. And so I was still on the network when the Tonys came around the next year. So I had I did that. So once you once you've done it a couple times, you're on the short list of people. And then the Emmys every four years, it's a it switches networks every year. Uh huh. So every four years, it would go back to CBS. Oh, okay. So I did that,
0: yeah, uh, because of it was being on CBS, and you could do it, yeah, the chops, I guess so, yeah, and the Oscars. that must be the most intimidating gig in the world, yeah, well, not really. I mean, I, the, I, I just find it very uh it's, a,
3: it's its own little machine that's eating its own tail. it's a hard one It's a hard one to crack
0: why, well, in what way? like I mean, you go well, out there, everyone in show business is there. It's right. intimidating in my mind. And, you know, I I have to imagine that you have to sort of realize you're not going to get an amazing response. Correct. <laughs> and you've got to just suck it up. It's the last award of a long cycle now
3: of award shows. Yeah. So by the time they're at the Oscars, everyone is exhausted uh-huh. from the gauntlets of yeah. the Golden Globes. Of, right. Of, of all of them. SAG Awards. There's so many now. And Oscars is last. So you're dealing with actors who have who are promoting a show that they did a year and a half ago. They've already completed another show and they're probably working on another movie. For the movie, yeah. So they're talking, they're glazy because they're talking about something that's two chapters ago. Yeah. They're pretty sure who's going to win because by that time you kind of know that that this actor's won 11 of the last (laughs) 12. You you still have to put on the thing and go around and do all the stuff. And you're waiting a long queue of of cars and then it's really intimidating and daunting all the people screaming at you and the photographers and yeah you're you're sort of interacting with other famous people that you don't know and that's a weird (laughs) thing and then you sit down you can't eat you can't drink you're there for four hours it's run by the academy the motion picture academy so you have to honor sound design and you have to honor costume design and you have to honor a lot of things that the general public doesn't know anything about right so then it can read boring inside baseball too much because you need to let the sound designer thank all the people sure but no one knows who he's talking about right. know, the award show dynamic is tricky enough as it is yeah and now that i think the studios are releasing films to be oscar contenders at a certain time to get into certain festivals they're small films that then no one has really seen right they don't make a lot of money they just come out to be oscar movies and, yeah that's true that's and true. then ratings drop and then the the everyone right. panics because yeah. how do we get more eyes on the show yeah and you're talking about whiplash which was a great movie. Yeah,
0: but the only, the only people that sees it is
3: people who get screeners. Exactly. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I get screeners and I yeah. don't end up seeing them all. Yeah. So I think it's a. I think it's just a difficult one. It's a it's, daunting beast. It's it needs to be reshaped in some way because there's so many award shows that are
0: like it, but but he, in many ways better. I think and, Jimmy did great last year, and this year he, I think he did real well. But he was a little more biting last year; he took some more shots in the agreed, monologue. Anyway. But this year there were so many controversial things I that know, I couldn't touch it that and, were hot buttons. And stuff, they knew right? by you know they knew by you know after the Golden Globes they can watch how the other hosts sure. handle things. To see if anything's flying, and then be like, well, let's stay away from that. But the Me Too movement, the timeout movement, yep. very real
3: yep. and valuable and valid sure. things, right? So yep. you can't really mock them. Not You those, can't really yeah. mock the people. You have to do a Harvey Weinstein joke, but if you go there too hard, you're, up, yeah, you know, you, you, it's a, it's a tricky. That's line. tricky. But, but I just I, like he busted balls on the on the actors more. Yeah, like agreed. He, he still I mean, busted balls. I thought yeah, that that runner of the of uh, the jet ski thing was brilliant.
0: Yeah, it was funny.
2: I
3: yeah. thought
0: it was so funny. Yeah, yeah. Because it
3: was dumb, but it was
0: something that that you at home could still you know, make your own jokes about. Well, that's what he does, is that he's able to bring it to the regular people. I love that he takes the piss out of the elevated nature sure. of that thing. When he brought those people in last year from outside, <laughs> yeah, that, was cool. that was one of the best things ever. Just those people like, with Ooh. their phones? <laughs> you know, like... The, <laughs>
3: He was good. He did a great, great job both years. I think. Yeah, I, I no, think absolutely. Jimmy Kimmel is is an outstanding representation of award show host.
0: Yeah, it's good. And you are you doing? You're going to keep doing them, right? Mm, yeah. Mm, All right. So you tell get, me, you get asked to do them. You don't really. You gonna put in for it, right? <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> so tell me about directing. When does that start? How much have you done? I've done. Um, I directed a High Much Your Mother episode. Yeah. Um, Just one out I of two hundred. Some,
3: some theater stuff. They wouldn't throw you another one? Just the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: how, how, to you, how, how hard did you have to fight for that one out of two hundred?
3: <laughs> well, it's it's more difficult being on the show. Yeah. Oh, that's and then true. directing multiples. You know, there's a it's an ensemble coverage. It's not cast, a real great so.
0: experience when you're on the show and directing, because you have to go back and forth. You're it's double not... dipping a little bit. But I enjoyed it very much.
3: Uh, again, I really like I really like being on set and watching the crew work and honoring what they do, and yeah. I and I think that that all that part of it's fun. So it would be fun for me. I want to direct a. I want to do. I, I I'm thinking of trying to rein, reinvent kind of the improv comedy movie.
0: Like, well, give me an example
3: of what that is. The Guffman Christopher oh, yeah, yeah, Guest sure, sure. ideal yeah. of of filming stuff with bullet points mm-hmm. and getting great actors that may not be. Um, a list which is probably better due to scheduling but yeah. that are super talented and funny you want to do one of those yeah i think that i think that that deserves to be done again and i think not only would that
0: be fun to watch but if done right it would be really fun to execute it would be oh, it's really great fun yeah. to do
3: have you done any of improv
0: yeah i have i did uh joe swamberg's easy which is on netflix i did two episodes of that you know each year it's a show that is an anthology show so it's just um 10 episodes that are their own thing based in Chicago with oh, cool. Chicago people. And I played the There was an episode first season with me as this guy. And then we brought the guy back. But it's all improv. I love that. Or Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think which yeah. was, was just great.
3: But I, I kind of want to do something that will be fun to do and therefore be fun to watch.
0: Yeah. No, it sounds great. Would you be in it? Mm, probably not. Okay. And you got people in mind? You got an idea in mind? Sounds like you got I one. do. I have an idea in mind. All right. When are you going to do it?
3: Uh, this fall would be my favorite choice but we'll see if it can happen shoot it for cheap that would be the idea some micro budget shoot it for super cheap and then own it outright and um, and then try and sell it and hope that it does well how
0: did you like doing Hedwig
3: oh I loved it
0: yeah I talked to him uh, John Cameron Mitchell yeah yeah we did a pilot for something an interview thing but never got released but I, I spent like three hours with him and uh, it's a really he's great I I it was
3: another chapter of my life that is so unlike me, yeah, and yet I got to do it, and it was it was well received, and it was rock and roll, and I was just not a punk rock and roll guy and i and I had my own internal issues about how to carry myself yeah. and not be too effeminate uh-huh. and so I had to get over that very quickly and, and own femininity uh-huh. and then stomp around in a very David Bowie kind of way and, sh- and shriek all of these songs to an audience of Upper East Side people who'd paid too much money and Yet the show is very moving. So they're initially kind of taken aback, and then by the end of it, they were emotional and feeling empathy towards someone that was nothing like them. I don't know. That's it. It was it was fascinating to be theater at its best. A woman for a while. Oh yeah, you loved it. I don't know that I loved it. It's a lot of work. Yeah, tucking your testicles up into your way up higher than they're supposed to be and like oh yeah all of that stuff not so fun like no. getting into the
0: stuff <laughs> into was the drag lo- was d- it, tough it, oh dude like eyelashes and and take you know make making- but, but it must have been like when you were done up when it was finished and you looked at yourself it really helps the transformation right so so i much. mean it's like so much of it like even when i put on sam's clothes for glow i'm like no i'm this guy yeah yeah it's and i'm now i'm doing olaf
3: as right In in series of unfortunate events And I look nothing like myself And you and, can just
0: go to town It's not
3: really you Yeah You're a little less Less uh, insecure self-conscious, Less right. self-conscious Yeah oh, That's great Well it was great talking to you man Thanks buddy You feel good? I feel great This is a I, I'm a huge fan of the podcast And have always been nervous About how it would go <laughs> <laughs> Really? I thought it
0: went great It was fun didn't I didn't realize you? That you'd even started Have you pressed play yet? Oh fuck Um <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> but how's it? your kids are good you're you're married
3: kids are still... good my husband's great okay uh good we're working away kids are in seven years old they're in the first grade they couldn't be cooler they're in that sweet pocket where they want to be your friend and they want to learn stuff and and uh, they're healthy yeah and everything's everything's super super swell good man i'm happy to hear it thanks for having me on yep <laughs>
0: That was Neil Patrick Harris. As I said, Genius Junior. His new show, is Sunday Nights on NBC. He's also on Netflix, a series of Unfortunate Events. All the episodes of season two are up now, and that's uh, that's it. This is my first um, dispatch from the new space. If it sounds different. It might be a little different, but uh, but we're gonna chip away. I'm gonna make this the new home. It's gonna happen. It's uh, it's it's exciting, and I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm a, I'm a little ungrounded, folks. I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous, uh, and a little. I, I feel, I feel uh, kind of, kind of raw, a little vulnerable without my old garage. All right, uh, go to wtfpod.com/tour to get venue and ticket information for my upcoming shows in London, Stockholm, Oslo, Amsterdam, and Dublin. And uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't set up my amps yet. And uh, I, I can't. I can't play guitar. I know that's heartbreaking, but I can do this. Boomer lives.